0: Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl.
1: Good afternoon. And welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon after the news at four until five. Now in our 29th year here together, Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always decide our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. Also, you may Listen right now at newsradioklbj.com, or you can go there at your convenience. Listen to podcasts of previous year, previous weeks, and years for that matter. Or you can download the free app Sound SoundCloud and listen to the broadcasts without the commercial breaks. And this Thursday, after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. It's a terrific idea to call early or text early. It would give me an ample opportunity to do my best to answer your questions. If you're a regular listener, you know my priorities are I take today's calls first, today's text second, and then any previous texts that I have been unable to answer or at least answer fully third. So here we go 512. Eight three six zero five ninety. I got a text this morning that says asked about it has a short sentence. What do you mean Roth conversion to do a to a Roth or from a Roth? Well, what we're talking about when we say a Roth conversion is converting money that you've had in an IRA into a Roth. Now you could have had that money at an uh, employer-sponsored plan. Uh, and you would do then something called an IRA rollover, and then you could take that amount of money or whatever amount you chose and do a conversion and put it into a Roth IRA. Now, that's, that, that's how it's done technically or operationally, but the real question is, should that be something I should consider? And frankly, it really depends uh, there are two or three things at least or maybe a lot more to consider. One is whatever money you take out of your IRA and put in a Roth, that will that money will be added to your taxable income. I suppose the one exception, if you have money that you invested in your IRA and it was after-tax dollars, then some portion of that withdrawal out of your IRA would not be subject to tax. But that's, for most folks, in my experience, those are probably pre-tax dollars. And so when you do a conversion, that money will be added to your income, taxable income. And as uh, our listener, Bob in Arlington, always likes to point out, uh, if you are, are on Medicare, you need to be concerned about what that would do to your Medicare premium. You want to watch that it doesn't significantly increase your Medicare premium. I think that acronym is called IRMA. So now uh, you're aware that you're going to pay taxes. Uh, The next thing is from the initial purchase, you have to have a Roth for five years. And if this is all pre-tax dollars, you wouldn't be taking it out uh, in converted dollars until after that, and you have to also be over 59 and a half. The reason people consider doing this, frankly, there's a couple of reasons. One is probably that when the money comes out, meeting those tests of your age and how long you've had it there, you're not gonna have to pay any taxes on that. So that could be a very big deal. And the other is, that there are no required minimum distributions. Whereas when you have money in an IRA, when you hit a certain age right now, I believe it's 73, you have to begin to take the money out whether you want to or not. And if you were to pass away, and that would go to your spouse or if you were single when you died it would become a beneficiary Roth IRA you'd have to take the money out over 10 years but as of today you're not required to take a certain amount every year and that withdrawal say of your child or grandchild would be tax free to her or him so I think one of the things to consider for the longest time we all assume that you're going to be in a lower tax bracket when you retire I've come to understand that that's not necessarily the case. The tax brackets are fairly wide, and if you've done a good job of saving and investing for your retirement, or as happens to people who, say, work uh, for the state, they have uh, a pension and they also have social security, or if they're married and one spouse is a teacher, she or he has uh, a pension as well, you may well be in the same tax bracket. You may even have more income. I've seen that occur, uh, and so, Having a future where you can take money out or not take money out on a tax-free basis can be attractive for people in that situation. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I'm Carl Stewart. Call or text 512-836-0590. Let me see. I've got a tidbit here that I read today. Let me see about this. It's titled Little Interest in Higher Interest. I thought this was kind of surprising. Last Wednesday, this was written on July 31st, the U.S. Federal Reserve hiked the federal funds rate to a range of between 5.25% and 5.5%. That's the highest since 2001. But despite high short-term interest rates, the average savings account has a yield of just 0.4%. 2%, 0.42%, and yet 68% of middle-income Americans surveyed by Santander, which is a a global bank, 68% of middle-income Americans said they have not moved their deposits into higher-yielding accounts, and you're just leaving money on the table when you do that. Your choices can easily be short-term certificates of deposit. I see those advertised around uh, Central Texas in the 5% range. You also have the ability to put it in a money market fund where you don't have a fixed maturity. You can get your hands on the money. Government money market funds, I see, tend to yield about 5%. Uh, And if you have uh, a lot of money, say over the $250,000 limit, and you want to do CDs, many banks have a program where They will put your CDs with other banks to keep you under the $250,000 limit. I don't know how long the uh, central bank, the Federal Reserve, is going to keep rates at a high level, but the betting in the futures market is they're not going to lower them this year. They may go up another 25 basis points. So you'd be getting in that 5% range in a money market fund or certificate of deposit, which is a heck of a lot better than that uh, 0.42%. you're listening to money talk on news radio klbj we have all of our lines available no incoming texts i'll have to threaten you with bloviation i'm going to take a break now's the time to call or text 512-836-0590
0: i'll be back you're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ. 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl.
1: Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. When you have a question, call or text 512 836 0590. Bill, you're on the air. How may I help?
2: Hi, Carl. Hi. Um, Traditionally, uh, for many years, uh, the sage advice was never to convert from a traditional IRA or otherwise taxable tax deferred account to a Roth. And yet today, every fly-by-night financial advisor, or at least people (laughs) that hold themselves out (laughs) to be that, and I don't include you in that uh,
3: (laughs) that description.
2: Uh, but they're all talking about doing Roth conversions and doing Roth conversions before the tax rates roll back to, to the uh, pre-Trump um, rates. Um, two questions. Why has that sage, the old original sage advice changed? And where do you go to get a um, conversion strategy analysis done?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, there, of course, anytime you do this kind of thing, you have to make some assumptions. For example, the assumption that you articulated that some of these advisors are talking about higher taxes. Uh, that's, a, that's a big assumption because I, I, right now it's hard to imagine – that because Congress has to pass the tax laws. The administration can propose them, but they have to be passed in Congress. And I don't see how, regardless of our deficit, regardless of our debt, I don't see that either the Republicans or the Democrats, you thought maybe the Republicans, but they're not interested in raising taxes. So I think the odds of a significant increase in income taxes for the foreseeable future is frankly off the table. If a person thought, for some reason that he or she was going to be in a higher bracket uh, in the future because I don't know what that would be if they retired they they would be in the same or lower bracket that would be an argument to do it I suppose you know if you and I thought I'm grandpa's going to die and I'm going to inherit you know five hundred thousand dollars a year of oil and gas revenues you know royalties okay but that's pretty unusual so I think the higher taxes in the future is not a compelling argument. Uh, I do not know why uh, you're seeing all of these uh, people suggesting a conversion. There's nothing in it for the advisor. If they're getting paid, to manage the money in an IRA, and they get paid to manage the money in a Roth IRA, they're going to get paid the same. Frankly, if a person did a conversion and held out the tax line, let's say you do a $100,000 conversion, let's say you're in the 24% bracket, and you will hold out $24,000 to pay the taxes. Now the advisor ought to get paid less because there's less money to manage. If you take the money from someplace else and convert the whole hundred, there's no incremental benefit to the advisor. So I don't know why this has become popular. You're hearing a lot more about it. But as I said in the first quarter hour, I think you've got – you either have to believe – that you're not going to need the money uh, and you and and you'd prefer not to be have to take it out and have it at required minimum distribution you'd like your heirs to be able to take it out tax-free or in the rare case you'd be in a higher bucket when you retire I will tell you this I encounter something I encounter frequently are people who don't want the required minimum distribution and they're frustrated that they have to take it people in that people in that situation obviously have plenty of retirement income already maybe they have two pensions and social security they might be candidates for conversion just so that they don't have the required minimum distribution but the arguments pro and con in my opinion are the same as they always have been
2: may i, may I just
0: follow up with sure. one
2: quick sure add-on is the the advice used to be against it because they said if you pay taxes out of what's being converted right you'll never make that money back right uh, yeah. over the rema- the likely remaining life yeah. of the job
1: yeah. that's an and, interest- and yes yes has that changed no i think there's okay. where you there's where you get to that issue that you has ended at the you ended your original question and that is you have to say okay I'm going to put the money I'm going to pay taxes with the with with some of the money coming out. I'm going to assume the same investment return if I left it in the IRA or I took it out of the IRA. And I'm going to assume I'm going to be subject to a required minimum distribution. And I have to assume a marginal tax bracket on that. Those are a lot of moving parts. I'm not prepared to sit here and tell you that one's better than the other. But that's the kind of thing you'd have that's the kind of thing you'd have to know, Bill, is what's my future marginal bracket, what's my investment rate of return, and then whether or not it would be better to convert on those facts alone so i think you're right that's 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 a reasonable position to take that you just that you just articulated okay thanks carl you bet thanks for calling you're listening to money talk on news radio klbj call or text 512-836-0590 denise you're on the air
3: hi carl i love your show thank you i have a, a question i'm going to be retiring this next year and i have um Quite a bit of health savings account mm-hmm. uh, saved up, mm-hmm. and uh, I would be starting Medicare next year when I retire as well. Is is there a problem with the or a tax consequence with taking health savings care, health savings account distributions for medical purposes in addition to receiving Medicare?
1: I've never uh, been asked that question, but I don't think I've never read anything that would suggest. that there would be a circumstance where the tax-free withdrawal for legitimate medical expenses is impacted by anything including the fact that you're on Medicare or that you have any other aspects I my my educated guess is no I've never read anything that you're going to be penalized because you're on uh, you've put the money in the HSA now you're taking it out for legitimate health care reasons I think that's always tax-free regardless of whether you're on Medicare or not that's that's my understanding of it
3: Okay, so um, it, putting money into the HSA, since I will not be retiring until mid-year, putting money into the yes. HSA for the yes. first part of next year and going yes. on Medicare for the yes. second half of the year, yes. is that an issue?
1: No, I don't think it is. I mean, you may want to, you may want to if, 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 you know, talk to a CPA to verify that, but I've never encountered... Anybody ever suggesting that those, those legitimate withdrawals or distributions under any circumstance are subject to income tax? I've never encountered that.
3: Okay. Thank okay. you very much for your help. You I appreciate bet. it.
1: Okay. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I'm Carl Stewart. Call or text 512 836 0590. Here's the text Hi, Carl. I remember you advocating an allocation of equal parts large, mid, and small domestic equities. In my me- is my memory faulty? It turned out to be sound advice during the lost decade for the S&P 500. Thanks, Mike. Well, Mike, I guess one of the reasons I keep doing this is I learn stuff all the time. Um, and I, I and if you're a long-term listener, which you apparently are, you know that I one of the uh, the pieces of advice I follow is whenever I get the urge to make a change in portfolios, I lie down till it goes away. I would tell you uh, that for it depends on the type of investor that you are. If you have the time and interest and you want to do that, I think that's perfectly reasonable. Um, and I think at this juncture. For a sophisticated investor, after having the just huge decade, at least, outperformance of large cap over small cap and growth over value, if you want to lean into the wind, if you want to be a contrarian investor and add to your small cap or your small cap value, is that a reasonable thing to do? In my opinion, it is. Uh, I maintain... Uh, a small cap value position. And again, for the people who don't listen all the time, first of all, you're making a huge mistake. But anyway, I like active management for downside protection. But if you're an index person and you want to add a a Russell 2000 or a Russell 2000 value to a well-balanced portfolio, Uh, you've got history on your side. When you have these sustained periods of outperformance, like we had in the 90s, when you had that five years of the S&P 500, Going up over 20% per year. If you own value stocks, you wondered what the heck was going on. I've quoted this before. I back in the day, American funds in the next decade was the largest active manager and a maybe even passive manager back then, even though they only do active management, they had a dividend paying Value fund, Washington Mutual Investors Fund, that was started in the 1950s. And it was up in 1999, by my memory, about 4%. And their growth fund of America was up something like 40 or 45%. It was just this huge dispersion in returns. If you go to JP Morgan Guide to the Markets, and that's a public site, And you go and you just thumb through that because you sound like you're a person who pays attention to these things. You will finally get to a matrix where you will see the like a tic tac toe box with large, mid, small growth and blend and value. And you'll see year to date, but you'll also see the 10 year numbers. It's stunning how poorly small cap has done and value has done versus growth. So do I advocate that? Not for everybody. For a person who's not really interested in this stuff, buying a total stock market fund, which granted – Granted, is cap weighted, so it has a heavier large cap uh, situation to it, is probably okay. But I'm absolutely okay for, for someone who pays attention or is using an advisor to have all three market caps. Thanks for, the, thanks for the question. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Let's see here if I can find another text. Uh Oh, this is from Bob in Arlington. Sure, Bob. You know you're getting old. No, that's thank goodness that was back in May. I thought you were going to give me a hard time again. Let me see. I'm playing here with our software because I know that I've got some other calls coming in. All right. This is today. Individual tax provisions are going to expire after 2025. So when you file in 2026, Rates will go back to those before Trump's 2018 changes. No law change is required. Thank you, Bob. So that would that doesn't change my views on the politics. That if if rates are going to go back up in tw- in tw- in 2026, I it's not hard for me to imagine people running for Congress saying we're not going to let those rates go back up. But thank you for that because I had forgotten that. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. What else what else have I got here I can bloviate about? Oh, I came across really interesting chart. It looked at the returns from 1970 through June 20 June 30th of 2023. It looked at the returns if you had invested in inflation, which of course you couldn't or cash, or bonds, or stocks. And it broke that down by the 1970s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and then the 2020s year to date. And a lot of people who are listening are not gonna have had investments, or perhaps even aware of investments over, over those earlier years. But back in the 1970s, if, if you start with a dollar, your 10-year return was 103.5. If you just kept the money in cash, it was 84.4. If you put the money in bonds, it was 96.4. And if you put it in stocks, it was only 76.9. Aha, but listen to this. In the 1980s, when we still had inflation in the first part of it and very high interest rates in the early part of it, your return on inflation was 64.4, cash 127. Now listen to this. Bonds 222 and stocks 403. We're running out of time here. It's also, I'm going to go to the news. I may finish this when I come back, but I'm going to threaten you. You better call or text 512 836
0: 0590. I'll be back. Here is Charlie You're listening on the line. to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio Hear KLBJ it? 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Check to each
1: recipient. My experience is that you could, if you wanted, you do not have to send separate checks. I mean, you may have a joint checking account anyway. And you, what we're talking about here is right now, you can give up to $17,000 per year to anybody. Uh, and it's not subject to any kind of gift tax. And so if you uh, say you're married and you wanted to give to your Grandson, you could give him $34,000, $17,000 each, but certainly you could do that in my experience with one check. Thanks. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512 836 0590. Let's see here. Carl, when you make non deductible contributions to traditional IRAs, file form 8606 so you don't get taxed a second time upon distribution or conversion. Your custodian doesn't know what was deductible. They just tell the IRS, it's exactly right. And they thank you for that clarification. What we're talking about for everybody else is that once you have a certain level of income, you're not allowed to, um, to do a IRA and get a tax deduction. But you can do a non-deductible IRA regardless of your taxable income. So let's suppose you did that for a period of years and the value grew and now you're going to take money out to do a conversion, for example. Well, if you put in, let's just say, $100,000 on an after-tax basis and it grew to $200,000, then, I'm doing this obviously because it's, I can do the math in my head, and you converted, twenty say, $30,000. 15 of that would be attributable to your after-tax contribution, and 15,000 would be attributable to the tax-deferred growth in value, and that's what you would owe tax on. And what this person is telling me, which is really helpful, is your custodian is not going to know anything about that. Your custodian is going to depend on th- th- just reporting that to the IRS what the total conversion was, and it's going to be up to you to file this form so that you don't end up paying tax on it. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512 836 0590. All right, let's see here. This is a, got another text. Let's go down to today. And it says Great show. What are the advantages of a managed fund versus an index fund? What would you consider an acceptable expense fee for these funds? Well, this is a terrific question <laughs> because there's been a debate about this for as long as I can remember. Uh, and when Jack Bogle went, we worked at Wellington and went to Wellington and suggested an index fund to to mimic the performance of the Standard and Poor 500. They said forget it, Uh, and he went off and he started Vanguard. And as they say, the rest is history. Uh, The argument for uh, an index fund is that over time, very very few actively managed stock funds outperform. The stock, their relative benchmark, whether that's uh, the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or one of the Russell indexes. And they're cheaper uh, because, frankly, they have almost no human input. It's a lot of computers. And the stock funds tend to be more tax efficient. And now you can own them in an exchange-traded fund where the operating expenses are even less. And Morningstar makes a big uh, big case that one of the predictors of future performance is the uh, expense, on, expense ratio, and actively managed are going to be more expensive uh, just because you're paying human beings. Now, having said that, uh, I will tell you my opinion, I'm going to use that term correctly, uh, is when it comes to bond funds, uh, I like... Um, actively managed bond funds rather than index funds because the bond market is not nearly as efficient as the stock market is. And also, uh, there are tens of thousands of different issues. And I think over time, uh, active managers can actually provide extra value net of fees. When it comes to stock funds, I like ones that uh, either, I don't want to, here's one of the risks. A lot of active managers do what we call hug the index. They don't want to be too far away from their benchmark, so their portfolios look an awful lot like whatever their benchmark is, like the S&P 500. There's really then, if that's the case, why pay the extra expenses? I think you're either looking for funds that tend to, in bull markets, outperform or in bear markets outperform. I'm looking at my notes here at a large-cap value fund that I'm familiar with. And And right now, The S&P is up 17.7 as of yesterday, and this large-cap value fund uh, is up 22.35. Now, last year, when the S&P was down 18, it was down more. It ranked 94th versus its peer group, one being the best, 100 being the worst. But over the last three years, 21, 22, and year-to-date, it was 4th in this category in 21, 94th in 22, and one year to date. That's what I call lumpy performance. That's an indication to me that they're taking active bets and not hugging the index. Now let's look at the other side, another fund that tends to outperform on the downside. So I'm looking at an international stock fund, actively managed, so it only owns foreign-based companies. And it's up year-to-date 6.95%. The Vanguard XUS is up 1075 But you look over those same three years, 2021, 20, 22, and year-to-date, and this fund, when the market was doing well in 21, was in the 90th percentile. When the market went right in the tank, it rose to the third percentile. And now that the stock markets come back, it's the 97th. That's a sign to me of active management. And if you want to take the time, or you have an advisor who wants to take the time to find those kinds of performances, they can over time outperform, but you have to be patient and you have to live with that lumpiness. Otherwise, the the, the inexpensive nature and tax efficiency of index funds makes them very, very attractive. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text five one two Eight three six zero five ninety, Charlie. You're on the air. How may I help?
4: Thanks, sure. Carl. Um, you bet. And, and, and thanks for the best uh, and most honest advice on the radio that I've heard. But, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, I've worked for a company for over twenty years. It was an ESOP company, employee stock ownership right. company that invest or gave you shares every year into your retirement, non taxable retirement account. I just retired um, and. You know, throughout my career, I've never heard or read about an advisor who recommended investing in a lot of your company, but I never had a choice because it was an ESOP company and it ended up yes. working out really well. Yes, We now have a significant number of shares that were transferred into our traditional IRA.
0: Yes. And I really
4: want to know what to do with it. I know I want to diversify. Yep. Uh, my wife and I are both in our mid-60s. Uh, we have enough assets to live on, so we're long-term investors. But how do I take that significant uh, what will end up being cash when I diversify and sell the shares,
0: yeah,
4: yeah, and put it back into the market yeah. um, do I dollar question. cost average, or yeah. do I think that was in the market in just one lump sum or how do i do what do you yeah. recommend there
1: yeah so uh, the, that's a great question, and I have encountered this uh and there's an old statement which uh which I th- goes back many, many years. Uh, put all your eggs in one basket and wash the basket very carefully <laughs> and uh, yeah. that that you know when the way I look at it is when you when you look at institutional investors, who are responsible for paying out lifetime income pension funds particularly uh, they they're very careful about not being concentrated you've made a lot of money being concentrated we both know what happened when enron went bankrupt people lost everything so it's a great good fortune that you were with the company and it worked out so i would tell you that you're going to you're going to be thinking about asset allocation you've been in the equity market you i can you're a long-term investor you can live with the risk if you were just to do this if you were to take the feeling the emotion everything and completely put it to, to the side you'd you'd Figure out what you wanted to own in terms of diversified across domestic and foreign, and you just sell and 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 the next day buy for the very reason you said. I've been I have a hundred percent equity exposure today, and I have it in one equity one stock. If I take all of that and sell it. And put it in a variety of mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. I've immediately reduced my risk because I'm no longer concentrated. But I say, but I have the same equity exposure. That's the logical thing to do. Uh, here we are. You know, if you look from the beginning of 2022 until today, we're pretty much flat uh, on the S and P. We've had a, a wonderful year this year, but we had a terrible year last year. So it's not as if you know, you're, you had a great year last year and another great year this year. And you're never going to get an answer about whether or not dollar cost averaging is better than a lump sum. What I find is dollar cost averaging is for the person who uh, has a real problem putting money in and, and then watching it drop 10 or 15 percent. Then dollar cost averaging takes some of that that emotion which is a big deal for individual investors and puts it aside. But I have no statistical evidence whatsoever that dollar cost averaging is better than putting it in all at once. I actually read an article years ago that suggested over longer periods of time, there's no extra incremental return benefit to dollar cost averaging. I've just in my 45 years, when people get large sums of money in cash, not your situation, frequently we dollar cost average or I recommend it because they're skittish about oh my gosh if I've got a million dollars and it drops 20 percent, that's 200,000 dollars let's take six months to get invested but there's no evidence over long periods of time so if I were in your shoes and and you and you can and you've obviously lived with volatility even though you didn't have a choice in the ESOP just Purely objectively, going from one stock to diversified portfolio is completely the logical thing to do, Charlie.
4: Well, thank you very much. Um, I, I, that, that's kind of what my gut tells me, but it's just hard to get over that, you know, <laughs> putting because <in>, <laughs> it, it will be cash for a little while. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it. No, I understand. You know, and and you can read an article that says the stock market's overvalued. You know that would cause you to dollar cost average then you can read no what we're going to have is we're near the peak in interest rates and when rates come down that's good for stocks you need to get in you know i read this stuff every day so i understand your quandary but like i said i have i have no statistical proof that taking your time ultimately is a better deal
4: <laughs> okay well thank you carl
1: i you really bet. appreciate it okay thanks for calling you're listening to money talk it's time for me to take a break call or text 512 512- 8360590
0: I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome
1: back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart. And you're listening to Money Talk. You're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for about another 10 minutes. If you've been thinking of calling or texting, now would be a great time to do that. I forgot to mention when I came back at the bottom of the hour that, of course, you can also go to our website, newsradioklbj.com, and download previous broadcasts. Also, you can go to the free app SoundCloud and download the broadcasts without the commercial breaks. And this coming Thursday, after the news is 6 p.m., we will broadcast today's show. 512. 512- eight three six zero five ninety. We had a question earlier about if you were going, if a married couple were going to give, uh, let's say a, a child the seventeen thousand dollars per donor, could they write one check for thirty four, thousand? And I said, I thought so. And I have a text here that says, Carl, my CPA recommended separate checks from my wife and myself to our children because if audited by the IRS, they will consider a $34,000 check to come from one of us and not both. Okay, good to know. I'm glad that you were listening, and I hope that the person who asked that question has been listening as well. That's one of the great things about this broadcast. You learn stuff, sometimes not from me. 512-836-0590. Don, you're on the air. How may I help?
5: Uh, Hi, Carl. Hi. I called you a Few uh, years ago, um, uh, uh, my family uh, survived the depression, and so my philosophy <laughs> yeah. it was cash for everything. And uh, so my question today is on CDs. If you have a hundred thousand dollars in cash, and there are these different CD rates now that the banks and and yeah. uh, offer, how would you break that down? I mean, would you put it all in the the maximum, or would you break it into like by the five percent, four percent, three percent? you know in oh, oh, that
1: yeah, particular what, situation yeah so i think the first thing is you have to decide about what your maturities are because you're in this position now where you're getting you can get 5% on a money market fund so the reason to to buy a cd The only thing I can think of is two reasons. One, you want to lock in the return. Because when you put your money in a money market fund, if rates go down, it will go down. If rates go up, it will go up. So if you're willing to live with the loss of liquidity, then it becomes a situation where historically the best thing to do is to do a ladder where you vary the maturity. So, for example, Uh, 6, 12, 18, and 24 months, 1, 2, 3, and 4 years. The idea there, there, Don, is that let's say I put $25,000 in a 6, 12, 18, and 24 month. Then what happens is every six months I've got $25,000 coming due. I don't need the money. I buy a new 24-month CD. And Over time, I'll have more income because the longer term CD will be more than the shorter term CD, not today necessarily. The other Mm -hmm. benefit of that is eventually rates are gonna come down and when they do, you're gonna be earning more in a CD than what CDs will be available at the time simply because CD rates will come down as well. So if you are, are a cash person and you don't need the daily liquidity, or you can compromise and keep some money in a government money market fund and put the balance in a laddered CD, that would be the thing to do. I would not put $100,000 $100,000 in a six-month CD, because I just think you're, there's an opportunity cost. If you're an all-cash person and you're conservative and you know your expenses and you know you're not going to spend that money, then do some extension of the maturities to lock in the current high rates. That's what I would do if I were in your shoes.
5: Okay. Well, that's uh, I remember the term laddering, Yeah. and I forgot what exactly yeah. it meant. But, uh, no, I don't need uh, – i have no outstanding expenses everything's paid off in fact you recommended i pay off my house and so i did so terrific (laughs) i'm in an
1: enviable position you are very enviable. that gives you financial freedom yeah that's what i would do a ladder than if i were you
5: okay that's what i need to know okay thank
1: you you bet thanks for calling you're listening to money talk on news radio klbj tom you're on the air how may i help
2: Good afternoon, sir. I have Hi. a very quick question for you. Okay. Why would an investor not want to use dividend reinvestment? There's no commission. There's you know, it doesn't cost anything and it accelerates how fast your stock grows. I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what possible situation would there be where you would not want to do dividend reinvestment.
1: Great, great question. And I think I th- I think Not only does it matter for individual stocks, but I think it also matters for mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. I I always, 100% of the time, do dividend reinvestment. There's one benefit that you didn't mention that I see it's really significant for long-term investors, and that's the tax consequence. If you're doing dividend reinvestments in individual stocks in your own name, meaning not in an IRA for example, or you're in right. reinvest if you're reinvesting dividends and declared capital gains in your mutual funds and exchange traded funds, it's stunning what happens because your cost basis goes up over time because you paid $10,000 for I'm going for a fund and it and it it pays I'm making this up. a year in dividends, and you just keep reinvesting, and over the years, your adjusted cost basis goes up. Now, when you decide to sell it, or sell part of it, it's just stunning what that does for taxes. On my computer, I can look and see what a person paid for a security, then I push a button, and it says adjusted basis, and there are even cases where people have a not, have a reasonable gain, but when you hit the adjusted basis, they have a loss. And when it comes to, I'm going to you didn't ask this, but when it comes to for example bond funds, if you own a bond fund in your personal account, whether it's a taxable bond fund or a tax exempt bond fund, most of them pay monthly dividends. You reinvest that. It's entirely plausible that you will have a loss in that bond fund over a year or two or three period, even though you actually have a gain based on your original investment. So I understand. I'm with you. I cannot think of a single reason. And people say, well, I need the dividends to live on. If that's the case, you end up with a non-diversified portfolio because you're only owning dividend-paying stocks. And if there's ever proof that you want to have a variety of stocks, this year and 2021 are examples. What led the market from 95 through 99? Non-dividend-paying stocks. What led the market in the the 2020s, non-dividend paying stocks. So if you've been sitting in dividend paying stocks, which is fine, you have grossly, you have a huge opportunity cost. So I believe in dividend paying and non-dividend paying because I can't predict whether we're going into a period where higher yielding value stocks is gonna win the race, or no-yielding stocks like NVIDIA, which are up 170%, are going to win the race. But I'm with you 100%. I think everybody ought to reinvest.
2: Thank you so much, because now I can quit worrying my mind about it. (laughs) Okay.
1: You bet. Thanks for quit
2: trying to think of a reason. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, it's nice to know that you and I agree on this and don't have to worry about it any longer.
2: (laughs) There you go, sir. Thank you. Have a great weekend.
1: Okay, Tom, you do as well. Thank you. Well, we're running out of time. I want to thank Garrett for this afternoon for being my producer. I want to thank you for listening. And as always, remind you, the next Saturday after the news at four, be sure and tune in to Money Talk.
0: Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated.